One of the most frustrating things we've had to deal with over the last several weeks is the lack of clear and trustworthy information. I've heard several people, uh, person after person, say something to the effect, you don't know who to listen to, who to believe, or what is the truth. What we've experienced is just a taste of a life void of truth, and we see the results of that void. Anxiety, fear, confusion, apathy, frustration, anger, and so on. Human life was not intended to be lived in a state of relativism. That is the absence of universal truth, where each individual is responsible for deciding what is real or true for them in their world. Truth is the mortar that holds life together. Without it, life is meaningless, purposeless, directionless, hopeless, and an exercise in futility. Today, we are going to be considering the intersection of truth and faith. First, let me take a moment just to kind of recap where we've been. We started a series way back in the olden days when people didn't have a personal six-foot bubble that they lived in. It was a series called Back to the Basics. In particular, we were looking at what we called basic faiths. That is, foundational beliefs that the Jesus followers have that serve as the core of Christian discipleship. They are things that we quite simply believe in or have faith in. The kind of faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Some of the topics we've discussed were creation, the Trinity, forgiveness, Jesus' life, life after death, and Jesus' return. Now, these haven't been arranged in any kind of systematic order uh, because if they had today's topic, the one we're going to start looking at today, would have really been the very first one we should have looked at because it is the basic, basic faith. It is the foundational belief that all the other basic faiths spring from. What is this basic, basic faith? Well, it's faith in the Bible or faith of the Bible. Let's take time to look at today at two basic things that Jesus' followers believe about the Bible. We'll be reading from John's Gospel, the 17th chapter, starting with the 13th verse. I'll give you just a couple of moments to find that. This is from John chapter 17. It is what is known as the high and priestly prayer of Jesus. It's a prayer that Jesus prays to God after he's told the disciples that he'll be departing from them and he's preparing to go to the cross. And so he says this prayer for them. This is Jesus praying. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. First thing we're going to do is take some time to walk through this passage. As it starts off, Jesus said, I have given them your word in verse 14. It says, he saw, so Jesus saw himself as a messenger of God, delivering communication from God the Father to his disciples. This should be an awesomely humble thought for us, that the God of the whole creation wants to communicate with us. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, it says, What is man that you're mindful of him or that you think of him? And it goes, this idea goes on that, that God isn't just mindful or thinks about us, but he wants to take time to communicate with us. That God wants to communicate with you. And so that's the first belief we have in the Bible, that God communicates. So our basic belief, number one, is God communicates. Now, he's done this throughout time through the prophets and through the apostles, and it's recorded in the Bible. We believe God communicates to us through and in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Well, let's go on and look again at verse 14. It says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. What we see in this, this section is that there's a separation between those who receive the communication of God and the, those who don't, those who are referred to as the world in this passage. We experience that kind of separation today. You would, if you were to say to someone, I believe the Bible, you'll get a whole array of different responses and different reactions to that. Some will think you're weird. Some will dismiss you. Some may even ridicule you. Recently, I was sharing some of my, as you know, I'm doing an online Bible study on Wednesdays at noon, and I, I send out emails to those who've uh, registered to get some uh, study notes to go along with that day's release. I had accidentally sent those notes to someone who wasn't a believer. They responded, and this is how they responded. This is kind of the reaction that people give to uh, when you talk about believing the Bible. Their statement was that we need to stop telling our children fairy tales from the Bible. And so we see that separation from those who see this as communication of God and those who don't. But Jesus then goes on to say he doesn't desire for the disciples to be uh, taken out of the world, but for them to be protected in the world. This is one of those scriptures that leads to a phrase that we've often repeated, or that is often repeated in Christian circles. Like it is scripture, though it actually isn't scripture. You've probably heard it at some point in your Christian walk. It goes something like this. Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. That idea comes from these middle verses in this passage. So what does that mean, to be in the world, but not of the world? Well, I read a, what I thought was a really great illustration of this idea. It's the picture that you see here of a wooden ship on the ocean, as we look at and think about that. The ship is in the ocean, but the ocean isn't in the ship, or else it sinks. And so, likewise, disciples need to be in the world, but, kept out, uh, but keep the world out of them. This is Jesus' prayer, that, that we would not be taken out of the world. 
So the passage goes on to describe how this separation is accomplished, how, how a disciple can be in the world but not of the world. In verse 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That is the second belief we have about the Bible, the second point of today's sermon, that the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. All right, so the word sanctified, it means to set apart, uh, to set aside, or to separate for dedication and service to God. Jesus is asking God to leave disciples, to leave us in the world, but to separate us for his service that we may be used by him in the world and not have the world in us. Then he says it is the truth that does this separation. It's sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. The beautiful wooden vessels like the one we were looking at uh, where, where were in the ocean, but the ocean wasn't in them, as I said. Because people took a substance called pitch or tar that, that they would use to seal not only the gaps between the boards, but the wood itself. That pitch or tar became a barrier that kept the ocean from coming into the ship. It separated the boat from the water that surrounded it. It sanctified or set apart the boat from its environment. Jesus is saying that truth, God's truth, is the pitch that seals our heart, that seals our soul uh, from the influence of the world and the environment in which we live. And so those are our two basic beliefs that we're going to start off with thinking about the Bible. First, that God communicates and recorded and, and to us through the Bible. And second, that the Bible is truth and true. I want to talk a little bit, though, today about this idea of truth and what, what it means when we look at the Bible as truth. What I mean by the word truth when I say the Bible is truth is, is I don't just mean that the Bible is true in the sense that it's factual or accurate. Yes, we believe it is that, but I mean more when I say it is truth. Truth is a principle or a paradigm. It is what people use to guide their lives, their choices, their decisions, and all that they are. No one lives their life based on what they think is false, but on what they think is true. Ever met someone who said, I know two plus two is four, but I will live my life like it's five. So when I go to buy a couple of burgers and they cost $2 each, I'll pay $5 and not expect any change. No, people don't live their lives based on what they think is false, but they live it on what they decide is truth. Truth is the lens that people use to look at the whole world, and it filters how they interpret what they see and observe, how they feel, react, and think. This is what I mean by the principle of truth. And when I say the Bible is truth, it is this filter we live by. So for the person who believes the Bible is truth, every aspect of their life is influenced by what they learn from their truth source, the scriptures. How they think, how they process decisions, how they interact with others, 
how they feel about circumstances in life, what they do, how they behave, where they invest their time, energy, finances, and other resources, what they deem as important or trivial are all influenced by the Bible because it is their truth and their source of truth. And so I want to take a few moments to recognize four realities of the truth principle. Number one, truth and faith are not mutually exclusive. Here's a picture of uh, Pittsburgh, the convergence of the Allegheny River and the Mon, or Mongahela, I believe is how you say it. You can see the two rivers coming together and merging into one. And this is how I want us to realize truth and faith, that they're not separate. They're not separate streams or separate rivers, but that they actually collide and converge together. You don't have truth here and faith over there, but you actually have truth and faith in life intermingling together. Things we can determine that are true influence our faith, and what we believe and things that we believe influence what we think is true, that they combine together. Everything uh, that is not verifiable in life, we live by a, by a great number. Everything is not verifiable in life. And we live by a great number of assumptions, theories, interpretations, instincts, hunches, and plain old good guesses. This is where truth that we know mingles with our faith as we live life and no negotiate the things we understand and those things that are beyond our understanding. Most people live right here in that middle ground where you see the clear water and the muddy water kind of kind of mixing together there are things that are clear to them and there are things that are unclear and they live in that strange convergence of truth and faith in life now there are those who like to be completely over or like to be completely in the clear in the truth section and and believe that science can explain everything but it doesn't and some want to live in the, in the, in the faith side, uh, totally by blind faith, where truth and validity is just an illusion for the weak of faith. You see those kind of people who uh, avoid going to doctors because they don't need science to, to heal them. All they need is faith. Here's an example, I think, that shows how these two uh, mingle together a bit. This is from the science realm. Albert Einstein in 1916 published the theory of relativity. He took what he knew, math and other factual information that he could grab from observation, and, then he, and so that was his truth area, and he projected that into the unknown, becoming a faith statement, and he wrote the theory of relativity. And just to understand this, a theory is simply a faith statement or a belief statement that given what I know, I believe this. That's what a theory actually is. And so he took his knowledge, his truth, and projected it into a faith statement. And people accepted that. And, and, but it was, I just read an article in 20, from, published in 2018 where people are able to say now they're able to start to verify a theory that was uh, written over 100 years ago. But much of science, especially space science, has been affected by this faith statement, the theory of relativity, 
for the last hundred years. And over time, it's become clearer and clearer and clearer. So we see the merging of truth and faith, even in this realm of science. And so the other idea is that we want to see is that there is a choice on the truth decision. That there is a place where we, these two collide, that they live together as we combine truth and faith. And so our second reality about the truth is that there are truth options, or at least apparently there are. There are other ways to look at the world, other sources of what we might call truth. For us as Christians, it is the Bible. But remember, there are other holy books out there. Almost every world religion has some source of truth, some material that they get their instruction from. There are some who find uh, their truth only in science. Some find their truth in media. There was a time when people would say, if you see it on TV, it must be real uh, because I saw it on TV. I think more likely today, people say it must be true. It must be real because I read it on the Internet. And so they find their truth from these kind of public media sources. Some people find their truth in other people. They look for the expert, someone to tell them what is true, and they put their faith in that person and their knowledge and intellect. If so-and-so said it, well, it must be true. And then there are those who find them true solely within themselves, their own intellect, their own emotions, or their own experiences. And so people have other choices out there, and people make these other choices where they find truth, where they find that direction and their way of interpreting and filtering everything in their life. Things that they think are true and explain life and give direction and answer their unanswerable questions. However, I think most of us tend to mix these things. That there is not just uh, many people who live with one pure source. Even those of us who believe in the Bible. That we take the Bible, we take what other experts say, we take what we think, and we kind of mix them together. And so that can be somewhat dangerous and needs to be carefully thought out, which is going to be your primary source of truth. That leads us to the third recognition about truth. And that's why I say there's other options, apparently. Because the third recognition is truth, by definition, is singular or exclusive. This is where most people hate the idea of absolute truth, where they find it offensive. But the truth of the matter is 2 plus 2 equals 4. It cannot also equal 5. It can't be both. It, the truth of the matter is exclusive, that there is one truth and everything else is false. Now, I know in our day it's popular for people to say that you have your truth and I have my truth or what is true for you may not be true for me, uh, that this is not truth at all. This is called relativism, where there is no truth except for what the individual determines to be true, that everything is relative to everyone, and it's just based upon their own criteria. People also today talk about perceived truth. That is, what a person thinks is true or believes is true or feels is true, that is true because it's what they perceive it's their idea the problem with this is this is leads to chaos and is and it chaotically undoes the very fiber of reality i think 
transgenderism is an example of this kind of perceived truth. If someone perceives themselves to be different gender than they biologically are, that doesn't make it true. And in fact, it seeks to invalidate centuries of biological science, not religion. Now, on a note, we need to realize that people who struggle with their identity need to be loved, accepted, cared for, alongside everyone else. But true care comes in sharing truth and not acquiescing to falsehood for the sake of remaining unoffensive. Truth is everyone, no matter who they are, what they do, issue, what issues they have, because we all, every one of us, have some kind of issue. Everyone is loved by God, valued by God, and Jesus died for us all. Maybe I should make it personal. The truth of the matter is, I'm overweight. My family has a history of heart disease, and weight is a contributing factor to cause heart disease. This is true. Now, I can sit up here and perceive myself differently. I can think I am some bodybuilder or slim, trim, ready, fighting machine, but that doesn't change the truth. My best life is lived accepting the truth of who I am, as I am, and working it out from there and not dealing in falsehood, no matter how unpleasant it is to face the truth. That leads me to the fourth reality of the truth. The cosmic reality is there are truth and there are lies. And we're basically living life searching through them. That much of life is really a search for what is true, a determination of what is true, and basing our life on that. The Bible, I think, explains this conflict in Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Later in verse 25, it says, Because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. The reality of life is that we're on this grand search for truth. And there is a liar out there who would deceive us, who would lie to us and try to convince us that other things are true. For the disciple, we believe that God has communicated to us, and that communication is truth. Truth that we can build our life on. Truth that we should uh, use to evaluate every thought, action, reaction, behavior, uh, application of our life on. This is God's truth. And that suppressing that only leads to unrighteousness. And believing the lie makes us God instead of the Creator Himself. And so this is the battle we have in life. And we must realize that much of the advances of humanity, much of the advances of religion, and much of the advances of scientists are simply a, a pursuit of people trying to find God's truth. And as we move forward and closer, God reveals and helps us understand it more and more. So in closing today, I'd like to give two steps 
to aid you in this search for truth, especially of those who want to live their life by the truth of the Bible. I think the first step we need to take is to identify your source or sources of truth. When you have questions, when you look for direction, when you try to evaluate and interpret the world in which you live, where do you turn to find those answers? And in what order? Is the scripture the first place you go? Is other people? Is the media? Do you Google it first? Where do you try to find your truth? What truth source do you base your life on? Or is it just yourself? Everyone lives life based on some type of truth, some truth source. And so identifying what source or sources you use is the first step in understanding yourself and being able to guide your life. Second, I would encourage you to write out a personal statement of your belief on the Bible. Just take time and voice to yourself what you believe about the Scriptures. In the coming weeks, we will be looking a little bit more at this basic faith of the Bible. As we see what it is we believe about the Scriptures and then how to use them in our life. But first of all, let me say, for me personally... I hope it is my truth source, the source I, I guide everything by in my life. And I pray that you will use it as the same type of source of truth. Let him who has ears hear. Amen.